Welcome to the Rich Roll Podcast, episode 77, with Dr. Michael Clapper. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're back. I'm back. I'm the guy behind the avatar, behind the microphone, the guy holding the pen, typing on the keyboard, the guy tweeting out the tweets, but I do exist outside the virtual world. At least I think I do. I need to go back and watch The Matrix. Anyway, my name is Rich Roll. Each week I bring to you the best, most forward-thinking paradigm-busting minds in health, fitness, wellness, diet, nutrition, spirituality, creativity, entrepreneurship, and life transformation. The people who make stuff happen, everybody. And the goal, the goal is simple, but the goal is powerful, to motivate and inspire you to take your life to the next level, to help you discover, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. Yeah, dude. Uh, Today's guest. Well, actually, let me backtrack a bit. A few weeks ago, I had the distinct pleasure of being a keynote speaker on this uh, doodad called The Holistic Holiday at Sea, uh, which was quite something. Um, It was 1,500 people on a gargantuan cruise ship. I think there were like 2,200 people total, but 1,500 of them were here for this specific purpose of participating in this holistic holiday at sea in the Caribbean, all there to learn more about health, how to eat better and be happier. And when I agreed to do the cruise, uh, I'd only been on one cruise in my life quite some time ago. Julie, my wife, had produced a yoga retreat on a cruise. That was my only experience. And uh, I have to say, I'm not like a cruising kind of guy. And at the time that I signed up for this thing, I had no idea the magnitude uh, of this event, the scale of this thing, the pure scale uh, like I said, I'm not really a cruise ship kind of guy. I'm, I'm, I'm more a guy who would prefer to just be in a shack on the beach, quite honestly. So I wasn't really sure how this was going to go. But I thought at a minimum, it might be a fun holiday for the kids and an opportunity to, you know, be of service. Uh, and, uh, you know, I can deal with being in a giant floating mall in the ocean. <laughs> But uh, I guess I guess you could say I was leery, um, and I can't say that the experience converted me to the cruising lifestyle. But I can say that it ended up being an amazing experience. I mean, fifteen hundred people there to get healthier. I gave my keynote in an auditorium that was like the size of a Broadway theater on this boat. It was ridiculous, and I got to meet and spend time with a lot of the pioneers in this whole plant-based wellness thing. A lot of people that I already knew or, or had met, but also lots of new people. I mean, people, we're talking about people like T. Colin Campbell, the author of The China Study and Whole, uh, Neil Barnard, the guy behind PCRM, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. I mean, these guys are legends. But more than that, much more than that, actually, it was amazing to meet and spend time with and connect with so many people who are interested in learning more uh, about, uh, about getting healthier, about eating better. And so despite my preconceived notions of, of what this whole experience would be like, I have to say that I left very inspired by the whole thing. And today's guest is one of the guys that I met on the cruise. He's a guy who I've admired afar from some time, but, uh, a guy that 
I had yet to meet in person. And his name is Dr. Michael Clapper. He's a rare bird, this guy. Uh, he's a doc who actually really cares about the patient. So before you get angry and defensive about doctors in general, I am not saying that doctors don't care about their patients. Of course they do. I'm just saying that this modern institutionalized system of medicine, of healthcare that we've created, basically forces well-intentioned doctors from getting invested in their patients. They just can't. The economics of it all simply prevents this kind of time and emotional investment, uh, patient, doctor, doctor, patient. Well, uh, Dr. Clapper is a guy who got fed up with that system. He's like Peter Finch in uh, Patty Shaevsky's epic uh, movie Network. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And Dr. Clapper started treating patients the way he felt that they should be treated. Uh, and it wasn't exactly the best business plan. There was the time he went broke trying to make it all work. It's that hard to do. But I think you will find his story his message, and how he now makes it all work, uh, not only educational, but uh, quite inspirational. So, all right, who is he? He's a plant-based guy, long-time plant-based eater, advocate, physician, clinician, who practices preventative and nutrition-based medicine and teaches his patients that health comes from healthy living. Simple, right? Preventative medicine. Now there's a concept. As an acute care physician uh, for many, many years, decades, he began to realize that many of the diseases his patients were consistently uh, bringing to his office, in other words, clogged arteries, arthro arthrosclerosis, high blood pressure, hypertension, obesity, adult onset diabetes, and even some forms of asthma, arthritis, and many other significant illnesses were made worse or were actually caused by the high-fat, high-sugar, overly processed standard American diet. So sort of akin to Dr. Lippman, who uh, I brought to you guys in episode 72, Dr. Clapper really came to understand how crucial proper nutrition and a balanced lifestyle are essential for health. And in many cases, it's what makes a difference between healing an illness, preventing an illness, and even reversing an illness, yes, reversing, versus merely treating symptoms or masking them with drugs and pharmaceuticals that have zero impact on dealing with the actual cause of the malady. So he began to just treat his patients accordingly, and uh, the results have been astounding. He's practiced medicine in Canada, Hawaii, New Zealand, and now he currently resides in Northern California, where he's a staff physician at True North Health Center in Santa Rosa. And True North is a really cool place. Uh, if you listen to my interview with Chef AJ, she talks about her experience uh, being a patient there and how it transformed her life. But basically, it's a nutritionally-based medical clinic that specializes in therapeutic fasting and health improvement through a whole foods plant-based diet. Oh, yeah. He's also a pilot. He's a teacher. He's an author. And basically, he's a, a great, very kind and giving, affable guy. He's sort of a throwback to the friendly family docs of the bygone era. The guy who would make house calls, which he did in his past. The kind of guy who would sit and have tea with your mom while you were upstairs in your bedroom as a child with a thermometer in your mouth. <laughs> kind of like you see in the period piece movies. Uh, actually, mental note, 
Develop an app like Uber that with one click will send a doctor to your house. Make millions. Good idea. Okay. Anyway, uh, also, and like Osher Gunsberg, last week's guest, uh, Dr. Clapper is a radio host. So his uh, acumen behind the microphone, once again, makes me look good and my job easy. Anyway, we sat down together in his little cabin on this huge boat and uh, gave it a whirl in the Bermuda Triangle. So let's see how we make out. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food, 
to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily, personally, for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now, for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. For the listener out there, we're sitting on a cruise ship locked in a cabin when we could be outside enjoying the sunshine, (laughs) the the ocean breeze, but we're going to bring a podcast to you today. Um, The thing that's funny, there seems to be this... uh, this uh, epidemic of plant-based focused doctors who are raised on dairy farms, and you're not an exception to that rule. <laughs> so you grew up in Wisconsin, yeah. I did. I spent my first 16 summers on my uncle's dairy farm in northern Wisconsin, and uh, I went I uh, went to school in Chicago during the uh, uh, during the winter uh, mm-hmm. time. During the summers, uh, back in the 50s and 60s, uh, 50s actually, uh, the polio epidemics would come through the big cities, through Chicago, Detroit, etc. And as I said, my uncle. Had a dairy farm up in northern Wisconsin, so my parents would. And the first day, as soon as school was was out, the next day we were up on the farm, and spent uh, my first sixteen summers driving tractors and milking cows and slinging hay bales uh-huh. and living on a farm and getting exposed to the natural world. How yeah. does that? How did that experience inform your perspective on nutrition and health today? Oh, I'm. You know, again, this I was uh, from my young years to, uh, to mid-teens. What it really did was expose me and imbue me with the realities of the natural world. My summers were filled with nature, with with uh, early dawn working on with the morning dew on your boots, uh, thunderstorms, uh, rolling uh, clouds coming in, uh, uh, full of animals, uh, hawks and frogs and deer, and then of course all the animals on the farm, and. The life force was so vital and full. Mm-hmm. I got to see it in all its complexity. Uh, everything from the uh, animal birds eating, you know, the, the snakes to uh, to the birth of the various animals on the farm, and uh, the, the rhythm became so natural. And uh, plus the the solace, the healing when I was upset or needed to think, um, boy, I knew just where the path through the forest was. And mm-hmm. uh, I spent hours walking through our lovely beach and maple forest up in northern Wisconsin. And I very, became very at home in the forest. And it was a place I would go for, for comfort. And so everything made just inherent sense to me, the way the waters ran, the way the winds blew. And 
it might be in our my genes a little bit. My father was a dentist. My brother's a biology teacher. Mm-hmm. We had the, uh, an affinity for the natural natural world, but it, it was there that um, you know, tried to say you know, I became a natural man. But I guess in a way that happened, as opposed to spending my time in in, in under stainless steel mm-hmm. rooms and fluorescent lights. So um, nutrition came way down uh, the, the down the road there. Uh, the awareness of that, but uh, but the biological forces have been in my awareness uh, since I can remember. Right, this connection to the natural world mm-hmm. that we seem to be moving towards a state of being ever so disconnected from that and the importance and how that makes us feel and how that informs our perspective and how we relate to other people and how we connect with the environment around us. Absolutely. You, you must on your long runs. Mm. You're, you, when you're out there alone mm-hmm. out in the desert there, you, nature shows herself to you as um, well. And it, yeah, there's no, there's no uh, replacement for that healing force. Exactly. So, so because of the family lineage, this drives you, or not drives you, but sort of interests you in the medical profession? I mean, is that what... Yes, I knew I was going to be a physician since I was a little kid. Uh, it was your destiny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When when any when any of the animals on the farm would be hurt, if there were we had a. Um, a sheep that broke its leg, and I—I I mean, I don't know—I was twelve or so, and I—I I made up a splint and and uh, splinted its a, a broken leg, and uh, and it seemed to heal okay. Uh, but uh, the various um, anyone who was hurt, I just wanted them to be okay, and whether mm-hmm. it was an animal or one of the other kids there, uh, and. Uh, as far as becoming an actual doctor of medicine, my father, as I said, was a dentist. And during the rest of the year when we weren't on the farm, uh, we were living in Chicago. I was going to school. And I'd watch my dad come home after 12, 14 hours standing at that dental chair. And uh, I love him dearly, but I knew I did not want to be a dentist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just became so natural to uh, uh, to become a physician. And um, I identified with the doctors on TV there, from mm-hmm. Dr. Kildare to <laughs> Doc Adams on the on Gun spoke. Uh-huh. I wanted to be the doctor, not, not, right. the, not the gunslinger. I wanted to be the guy who made everything okay to, to patch everybody up. Right. And you took a pretty traditional route. I mean, you, you ended up specializing or doing residencies in, in surgery and in anesthesiology. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't like you came out of the gate as some kind of alternative doctor practicing, you know, strange oh. modalities or anything oh, definitely like that. Not. You're very much mm-hmm. you know, traditional in that regard. Oh, absolutely. I am a physician. I'm a doctor of medicine mm-hmm. and will be till my last breath. And I rely on the fundamentals that I learned. Uh, the physicians are seekers of truth in, in the literal sense, not being self-aggrandizing. But uh, when, a, when a person's in front of you with a fever or a mass or a, a fracture or a pain, the question is, what is the truth of this situation? What mm-hmm. is happening in this person's body? And whatever it takes to discern that truth, then I you know, start there. And it comes down to to the fundamentals. Take a, take a good history, do a physical exam, order your labs. You usually know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's what I still practice to this day. If you don't do that, you're not a physician. That's what being a doctor is about. And so, um, and, and people come to me these days with various uh, issues, mostly stemming from what they're eating. And um, again, uh, I had a patient, I had a very wise professor in uh, medical school at the University of Illinois in Chicago. I said, you know, if you just shut up and listen to the patient, 
90% of the time, they're telling you the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And if you keep listening, they'll tell you what treatment they need very often as, as well. Uh, but doctors don't listen. They, you know, they, I think, what is it now, the average 18 seconds as, uh, mm -hmm. into a visit, the, patient, the doctor's already pulling out his prescription pad. If you just be quiet, just, just listening to the patient is healing in itself. I mean, it, it's one of the major affronts to the human spirit these days. Is nobody listens to me. You know, I ain't got mm -hmm. no respect. You know, the very fact that the physician put the book down, leaned across the table, and said, "Tell me, what do you feel? What, what is this? What's happening? What can I want to help with? When did this start? Tell me what you're feeling about this." That alone. The patient walks out of the room. The doctor listened to me. He heard what I was saying. Uh -huh. that, that alone is a gift to the patient, and it, and it starts the healing. Plus, from the physician's point of view, they tell, yes, I lay down at night. I get short of breath. I have to sit up. Well, I know that they've got fluid overload, and they're probably in congestive heart failure. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's medical reasons why you want to listen. They are telling you important stories. But again, as I said, just it, it's the first way to show respect for someone, to show love for someone. It's just to listen to what, what they're saying. And, and again, you... You make the diagnosis by by listening to what they're saying, and it's it seems like mm -hmm. that's that's the obvious natural initial point of inquiry, and yet that seems like that's not really going on, and and that's not to say that you know doctors are not aware of that being sort of the appropriate place to start. Is it just the economics of the medical profession, or what is driving the practice, the sort of traditional practice of medicine, away from that type of patient care? Sure. And uh, of course, a perspicacious fellow as you are, yes. as you are, you certainly you know go home right, right on it. The um, it's I'm now you know, I'll be turning sixty seven this year, so I've I've been in medicine for forty years, and I've seen American medicine over the past forty years turn mm -hmm. into what started as a very intimate and collaborative uh, enterprise between the, the doctor and the patient. Yes, I made lots of house calls. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, in the 70s and 80s, in comes the insurance companies and the, and the bottom line of the HMOs, etc. And and I watched a, a hardness um, set in on the practice of medicine, the flow between the doctor and patient. Mm -hmm. It got computerized in a way, and then there's there's time limits and there's money limits and there's pressure on the doctor, and you better see one patient every eight minutes. And uh, and assembly line medicine set in, and it's been dehumanizing for everybody: the mm -hmm. doctor, the patient, the nurses, the lab techs. Everyone's under under the pressure here, and so that that's been really disheartening. And the 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 I feel so badly for my colleagues, especially as a primary care physician. Uh, my colleagues in primary care, the emergency room doctors, the family doctors, they they want to communicate with their patients. But right. I mean, they're, this is I would imagine this is why they get into it. They don't oh, get into it for the paperwork. Absolutely, yeah. nor really for the money. And uh, and so many of them are. They feel like they're on an assembly line, and it's so mm -hmm. dispiriting, so disheartening. I've been fortunate enough to um, uh, to disengage from a lot of the aspects of that type of medicine because um, I don't have a need or desire to make huge amounts of money. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, and Medicare says, good, I'm glad you don't because you're going to spend an hour with the patient. We're going to pay you 62 bucks for that. So yeah, <laughs> so I'm glad you're not attached yeah. to making a lot of money. Yeah. Which if it was 1948 would be okay. Exactly. Now, not so much. Exactly. Um, and the... 
at the clinic where I'm working at True North Health Center, I'm, I'm privileged enough to be able mm-hmm. to, to have that kind of time to spend with an hour uh, with each patient. But again, it's not my colleague's fault in any way. The um, I had a nice little general practice in Hawaii, in the island of Maui, and um, and uh, not telling out of school, but uh, what's the what's the diplomatic distinguished way to say I went broke uh, mm-hmm. because uh, again you spend all this time with patients and the insurance companies pay you a pittance you can't keep mm-hmm. the lights on for there, and I realized that that I've become an anachronism in the system. This system is now geared for for large, multi-specialty, uh, multi-physician uh, family practice clinics with 20 family doctors. You're seeing 40 patients in a day. This is high-value medicine. And, oh, the insurance companies, well, oh, you'll earn thousands of dollars a, a, you know, a week doing mm-hmm. that. But as I said, I, I find it really dehumanizing. I'll take my few hundred bucks and be able to connect with my patients and, right, and so be with them. Right, so to actually practice medicine the way it sort of was traditionally set up for appropriate patient care and to be able to listen Mm -hmm. actually led you to be broke and that (laughs) compelled you to go back into urgent care. Yes. uh, Yes. I, you know, I, my heart is in nutritional medicine Mm -hmm. and lifestyle counseling, but I pay the rent doing blood and guts, urgent care, suturing and some fracture setting uh, at local urgent care centers. And, um, and it's an honorable craft and I sew up a good laceration and I, I set a good wrist fracture, but you know, I said that you know, I've said frequently. You know, patients come into the urgent care clinic, fat, sick, and bleeding. They leave not bleeding, but they're still fat and sick, and mm-hmm. nobody's really connected with these folks about what's going on. Right, and so as the course diet. of sort of practicing medicine and urgent care and seeing so many people come through, obviously you're starting to see trends in what's really going on with people. I mean, is this what? catalyzes this interest in nutritional medicine, or where does that kind of start to come into play? Sure. Uh, well, a, a variation of that, absolutely. Um, from the purely medical point of view, uh, the, the light went on in the late, oh no, early to mid-1980s. And the um, the the patients that I used to dread coming through the door, God love them all, were these middle-aged men, 40 pounds overweight, high blood pressure, taking metformin for their diabetes, gout. And I never knew what to tell them. I've been in acute medicine for 10 years. And, uh, gee, Joe, you ought to lose some weight. We mm-hmm. ought to change your dosage of your metformin. I didn't know what to tell them. Well, then, due to my personal evolution, I decided um, I wanted to get the violence out of my life. So I've, uh, for ethical, nonviolence reasons, I stopped eating animals. I stopped wearing leather. I just I didn't want to pay for mm-hmm. any violence to this earth, to the animals, to other people in any way, shape, or form. So, um, what was there a moment that catalyzed that mm-hmm. decision? For yeah, you? I mean, what happened? Yeah, there there were a couple. It was a culmination of a number of factors. I did much of my um, surgical training uh, over at the Big Bad Old Cook County Hospital in Chicago, up in the trauma unit. And it was almost world famous, or at least nationwide famous, uh, for being one of the roughest, toughest, bloodiest emergency rooms going to the Cook County trauma unit on a Saturday night was just a scene of carnage, just constant gunshot wounds and shotgun blasts and knife wounds. And, and I saw the violence. I saw the family 
fabric rendered part. I saw the um, the personal suffering, the huge expense. Just a, that's a disconnection from humanity, and I knew I wanted to get that out of my life. And mm-hmm. I was reading Gandhi and Satchinanda and, and people saying violence is not necessary. Talk and love and talk and love and work it out. And so uh, I took that to heart, and I'm the kind of guy that if there's a spider in the room, I'll put a little cup over the spider and slide a little paper <laughs> under the under it and take him outside uh-huh. and, and, and let him go in the grass there. I'm that kind of guy. And so uh, one evening in Vancouver, I, I, where I'd gone into practice, I was pontificating uh, over to a friend over a steak dinner about my desire to eliminate the violence of my life. Well, and, you're eating your sirloin. Well, I'm eating my, yeah. my, my, my sirloin. And he said, well, that's all very nice, Michael, but uh, if you really want to get the violence out of your life, you might want to start with that piece of dead flesh mm-hmm. on your own plate, because the truth is your desire for that piece of meat in your mouth, you are you are paying for the death of that animal. You are paying the butcher, yes, kill another one. You are doing that. And as much as I wanted to, conf- to object and, and negate that, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I heard a little voice in my shoulder saying, you know, he's right truth is you're paying for the death of the animal you're paying to keep that scene of violence and carnage going and at that point i could not do that any longer the 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 act of taking my wallet out of my pocket and taking dollar bills out and paying for that became a a a soiled act it became an act of complicity and violence Mm -hmm. and i just couldn't so i became a de facto vegan for ethical reasons it wasn't long after i stopped eating meat that I looked at my leather shoes, my leather wallet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't want to wear, but those. But in my it's body. interesting being a doctor yeah. that you didn't come into it initially no, for I didn't. health reasons. That was a by, almost a byproduct. It of was, a but spiritual what that, explore, exploration, I suppose. Absolutely, but what that did was then open the door to it. Reframed what I was seeing. Um, because at the same time, I was I had gone back to to finish my residency in anesthesiology at Vancouver General, and day after day, I'm in the operating room, especially on the cardiovascular anesthesia service, and day after day, I'm putting patients to sleep, opening up, and watching the surgeons open their chest, and from their arteries, they're pulling out this yellow, greasy guck called atherosclerosis. And I'm looking down in there. This is what's causing their heart attacks and their strokes and mm-hmm. their blue feet and, uh, and renal failure and from lack of blood flow. And it's, it's, it's a stunning thing to see. It's so clear. You seldom see the cause of a disease so evident as when mm-hmm. it's pulled out of an artery. And one day I was looking, and this, it had a this particular fellow had a it's fat, his fatty deposits had a bit of a yellow cast to it. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember my mother making chicken soup, and I looked at that. And I said, "You know, that stuff looks like chicken fat." And the little voice again said, "There's good reason it's why, doctor. The same thing, yeah. <laughs> it looks like chicken fat. It is chicken fat, uh-huh. and cow fat, and pig fat, and all the fat of any of the slow animals he was that was walking past his table when he had a fork in his hand." And I realize it's from what these people are eating, and, and, and they're paying for the death of those animals, and they are eating the flesh of those animals, and, and, and without being you know, outrageously symbolic here, you know, we kill the animals, but in a way, they get revenge, they kill us from uh-huh. the inside. I never know? thought of it that you know, way. Oh, it goes around and around, and I just had to disconnect from that in, in all forms. And so I did. Um, 
I left anesthesia. I couldn't be part of the assembly line next, next, because nobody's talking to these patients about what's going on, why they're laying on that operating table. Right, you're stroke. one cog in the assembly line. Yeah. You see them for that one specific purpose, and there's no follow-up or any other kind of connection with that individual. Exactly. And as much as I loved anesthesia and the surgery scene, it was a wonderful, magical place to work. I just felt that, I, that, that that's not for me. That I, I needed to go out and, and start helping my patients mm-hmm. stay off that operating table. Say, ah, out of that hospital. So I left anesthesia. I had six months to go in my residency. I had paid my money for my national board exams, and but I knew I did not want to be an anesthesiologist any longer. And so much to my parents' consternation, I, I withdrew from the residency. And I went back to general practice. But in this time, things had changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had changed in that... When I adopted a vegan diet, a uh, totally plant-based diet, um, within six weeks, a 20-pound spare tire of fat around my waist melted, melted away. My borderline high blood pressure slipped down to 11070. Mm-hmm. And that was I, like 250. Oh, or it was, like it was or, officially yeah. high. And I felt great waking up in a nice, light, lean body, and I, was, I found myself a healthy man. So then the wheel goes full circle. Mm-hmm. I find myself in my general practice office. I'd moved to Florida by that time. And who walks in my office but those middle-aged, overweight, high-blood-pressure, diabetic guys that I had dreaded coming in to see me before. Now I knew what to tell them. Mm-hmm. I knew why. I knew what they were doing to their bloodstream after every bacon and egg breakfast, every cheeseburger lunch, every fried chicken dinner. They send wave after wave of fat and sugar and animal protein through their bloodstream, and it hurts their arteries and they clog up. And so I said, you know, it, <clears throat> I had a professor in med school said, you know, medicine is 10% science and 90% common sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're doing so, if I have a patient complaining of headaches, I say, when do you get headaches? Oh, every time I hit myself with, in, a ha- in the head with a hammer. Is that, <laughs> I said, well, maybe you don't want to do that. Uh-huh. Well, same thing. A doctor, I keep running all this fat and then further my bloodstream. I keep putting on this weight. My diabetes is getting worse. What do you think I should do? Well, why don't you stop doing that? And I, I had a colleague that uh, gave cooking lessons. I sent my patients mm-hmm. to her, and we got them uh, going on a lean, clean, plant-based diet. Got them walking every day. And the magic happens. You, you put a nice clean fuel through the body as you well know and the engine hums along and they started losing weight and and things that i never thought i would see in medicine started happening when i went to med school back in the 70s the the adage carved in stone was if you put someone on high blood pressure pills they will take these medications the rest of their life no one gets off high blood pressure pills well i had this overweight a fellow who was eating lots of salt and cranking his blood pressure up, um, changed his diet, started eating a whole food plant-based diet, take a good mm-hmm. walk every day, 50 pounds melted away over the course of six months. And with that much less flesh, you need a lower pressure to to send blood through the right, tissue. Right, and the, the blood pressure drops. Blood as pressure drops, and those arteries right. open up. And and I've got him on two powerful medications to lower his blood pressure. Ones that he's going to take the rest of his life, right? And he's calling me saying, "Doc, I'm standing up. I'm getting lightheaded and darn near passed out. It's yesterday. Too low. And my blood pressure's too <laughs> low." I said, "Well, at this point, I said the words I was told never to say. Stop your blood pressure medications now. You know." 
longer have high blood mm-hmm. pressure. Stop taking medications for a disease you do not any longer have. Mm-hmm. And they did. And guess what? They they didn't die. They didn't have a stroke. And uh, I half expected a, a puff of smoke and the ghost of my internal medicine professor would you know appear saying, you told them to go get right. off their pills. But they did fine. And now I routinely get people off their blood pressure medications. The folks with diabetes, you know, once on insulin, always on insulin. Nonsense. Get them off their insulin. Get them off their metformin. And same with uh, same with the cholesterol, oh, the statin meds. As absolutely, well. oh, the statins, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Talk about the. I mean, ta- the statin thing with the, the new recommendations that essentially everybody should be taking. Stunning, you know? stunning. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that and yeah. the body's ability to kind of address yeah. and reverse that scenario. Right. You know. I guess after 40-plus years in medicine, you get a little philosophical, I suppose. But it's a real head-scratcher for me to work in a profession whose technology is so powerful and so precise that the smart guys and girls in the white coats in the laboratory can identify the most subtle of genetic malfunctions on gene number A21 on chromosome 13 that uh, puts an enzyme defect on on this amino acid. This they can identify. Mm -hmm. But the cause of childhood obesity, the cause of type 2 diabetes, the cause of clogged arteries... um, the, oh, let's let's send let's spend another hundred billion and I find the cause of childhood obesity, the cause of Clyde Arts. It makes me want to get the biggest soapbox I can find, go down to Washington D.C., stand on it, and yell as loudly as I can. You want the cause of childhood obesity? It's the food they're mm. eating. It's the food. Well, the cause of high blood pressure and the clogged arteries. It's the food. It's the burgers and the fries and the fried chicken and the pizza and the olive oil and the chicken and the cheese. All oh, this tsunami of fat and animal proteins are sending through their bloodstream and vegetable oils day after day, hour after hour. That's what's going on. How can you not see that? And yet my colleagues, oh, they want to look at that. Oh, I don't know anything about nutrition. Oh, people have never changed their diet. Oh, I'm, I'm, it's none of my business to talk to them about that. And they don't. And, but, oh, but, uh, but a, um, uh, but, but statins will, will, will pound down their cholesterol. So, so I'll just, it's easy to give them a pill. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's And they'll happen. take it, but they may not take my dietary advice. Oh, they won't take my dietary right. advice. So why bother? Exactly. And the reason that they don't, and human nature is human nature. And, and I'm not clucking my tongue or wagging my finger because I, when I was eating animal flesh, I didn't see it either. If you don't want to, well, to, until you see it, you don't see it. Um, but there's a lot of resistance. One, you know, we weren't trained in it as physicians, but also, I hope it's not casting any aspersions, but the truth is most doctors, they don't want to tell their patient to adopt a plant-based diet because that means they've got to stop eating their filet mignon and their lobster thermidor and their brie cheeses, and they don't want to do that themselves, so, they, so they'd rather just not open that door. So it's easier to give them a prescription for statins. Mm-hmm. That dissonance brings up a really interesting issue because I think that there is a lot of dissonance out there. Like we're in this really fascinating time where we've never had more access to information than we have now because of technology and the internet. We can access all kinds of crazy, amazing information when it comes to our health. And yet there is this, you know, sort of crazy level of confusion because there's so many conflicting opinions out that the truth is, you know, one thing we can't dispute 
is this epidemic healthcare crisis that we're in the midst of. You know, we're the most prosperous nation on earth, but we've never been more sick or more obese. Heart disease, cancer, diabetes, obesity, these problems are insane, right? And so the sort of educated consumer goes online, let me let me try to get to the bottom of this. Well, the Dr. Clapper says this, but you know, kind of some of the some of the noise or I don't know if it's fair to say noise, but some of the information that's out there that kind of is taking center stage right now, especially with young people and like technologically savvy young people who are into like biohacking and life hacking and all of this is this, uh, is this, um, low carb kind of high fat craze. So you have all these people out there who are professing the benefits of a ketogenic diet. You have Peter Atia, you have Dave Asprey, you have Dr. Gary Taubes, you have Professor Tim Noakes, and these people have large followings. They have big audiences. People are listening to them, and they're they're sort of advising something very, very different than what you're saying. And so this creates this dissonance that we're talking about. And that confusion leads to paralysis, right? People don't know what to do. So while these guys can't even agree, these guys are saying one thing, these guys are saying another thing, so I'm just going to keep eating the way that I'm eating. Mm-hmm. Yes, that seems to be what's happening, and, and it's caused me great dismay. And again, and I don't know these men and women, and, I'm, and I can I don't want to cause, uh, cast personal aspersions, and, and I'm sure they're trying to do the best they can. But unless they've read a different physiology book than I did when I was in med school, a state of ketosis is not a natural state of being for your physiology. That is, it's, it's, you're driving your car and the red light comes on the dashboard. You know, there, there's distress happening in that engine. Well, the same mm. thing in ketosis. You have run out of glucose, of, of, of muscle fuel, and you are now dipping into emergency fat stores as, as emergency fuel. You know, the, the red lights come on. And, and, and as burning that emergency fuel, you're in a state of ketosis. And the body can handle that for a day or two or three or five, I suppose. But in no way is this the natural state of of human beings, we've always been grazing on um, on carbohydrate-containing foods. That's why we have taste buds for sweet on our tongue because mm-hmm. we like to go for those fruits and and high-calorie um, plant foods. To 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 say that we've got natural taste for animal flesh uh, and to, that we want to stay in the state of ketosis, um, it's it's stunning to me that that medical physicians can say this is a good and natural state to keep the body in. It it's seems a crisis like, state. For absolutely, the body, right? absolutely. It's like being at the at the stoplight in your car and um, and um, at a red light and you put the car in neutral and you you put the hold the accelerator down on the on the engine and down. To the floor, and you run it on you know on a on a high octane fuel. You know you can overheat the engine. I mean, it, it's not gentle with the metabolic. So yeah. Gears. So what would happen if somebody is in a persistent state of ketosis or in this keto, you know sort of mm-hmm. on this ketogenic diet? I mean, what are the long term ramifications of that? Or have yeah. you seen any result? Have you dealt with patients that are? Right. experimenting with this? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there are many, and they, uh, they don't come to me, though, because they, they right. know what they're going to hear. But 
the beautiful thing about running on plant foods from the biochemical point of view is that when you metabolize sugars, it breaks down basically to carbon dioxide and water. And you breathe off the carbon dioxide and you eliminate the water through your kidneys. And that's a clean burning fuel, doesn't follow the metabolic spark plug, so to speak. But when you run on animal flesh as your excuse me, primary fuel. These are dirty fuels in, in the way they are metabolically dirty in that they leave residue. You, um, While you burn fast, you're going to generate mm -hmm. ketones. And ketones by their nature are acidic. Um, we're talking about um, acetone, um, beta-hydroxybutyric acid. These are acidic molecules. And to keep your state, your, your, yourself in a state of low-grade metabolic acidosis day after day, week after week, um, this is not a healthy um, state to be That's in. That's going to create chronic inflammation, is it not, uh, which is going to lead to these diseases that we're talking about. It's certainly not going to be gentle with any inflammatory state in your body. But also to neutralize that acid, um, you're going to have to give up either some calcium out of your bones or make your kidneys work extra hard in order to excrete extra extra electrolytes. It's it's a stress state for the body. And but you lose weight. Yeah, well sure you lose weight on that, but it, but you're ill. Yeah, you know, because your appetite is when you're sick, you people lose their appetite. And when you're in ketosis, yeah, I don't feel like eating you know, it's you feel like almost got the flu. Mm -hmm. And so um you know you can lose weight on cancer chemotherapy, but it doesn't mean it's a it's a healthy way to do it. And so to the issue is not weight loss. The issue is health. And I just cannot see that being a healthy diet. Plus we're not carnivorous apes. I mean, that's really what they're trying to turn us into. You, you are, we are carnivorous. We eat flesh three times a day. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, not even mountain lions eat flesh three times a day. You know, official carnivores don't eat flesh three times a day. It's only because we're wealthy enough and, and have subverted the whole food system. So we kill a million chickens an hour and we've got all that flesh floating around us here. But there's nothing natural about eating animal flesh on a daily basis, let alone two or three times right. a day. I mean, I think this, this group would say, one of the kind of common arguments that comes up when you start talking about the link between eating animal, animal flesh, animal protein, and the connection between that and a variety of diseases is, well, look at the Inuits. You know, the Inuits, they're basically eating meat all the time. They seem to not have heart disease. And it creates this inconsistency. Well, one, they do have heart disease. And second, these people are living in, or they used to uh, be living, uh, in, in extreme weather conditions, you know, many degrees below zero, doing stunning amounts of physical labor, pulling their sleds across ice flows and you know, paddling their kayaks on the ocean. They're burning four or 5,000 mm -hmm. calories a day. And, um, and, the, the, that's, uh, they're a little asterisk on the side of, uh, you know, of humanity here. And they may have adapted that in some way, but in no way can you extrapolate that, uh, that Joe American ought to be, you know, eating whale blubber, you know, three times a day. Well, if, if he's, <laughs> if he's burning, you know, if he's burning 5,000 calories, then, then Joe six pack, get mm -hmm. off your couch and go start burning 5,000 calories a day. And we'll see how your arteries do there. But it's a silly, uh, uh analogy to make and to use that as a justification that that's the natural diet of humans when, mm. when nothing like that is, is uh, you know, spread across the planet in any form. Right. And when we're talking about eating a plant-based diet, and you know, I, I, my experience and my strong belief is that this is the optimal diet for long-term sustainable health 
and as well as uh, a potential solution to the environmental disasters that we're facing. I mean, it's sort of a win-win across the board. Um, and one of the arguments that kind of comes up is, well, if you're on a plant-based diet, like you've got to take vitamin B12 or you're going to have this deficiency. So how can it be the optimal diet? And, you know, my perspective is I believe in supplementation. I think humans need supplementation, whether you're on the standard American diet or you're on the paleo diet, um, especially with the progressive depletion of the nutritional quality of our soils. There's all sorts of things going on that can lead to deficiencies, the stress in our life, et cetera. Um, I think that you should always be trying to get your nutrition from your food, but the food isn't always going to suffice. So whether it's vitamin B12, vitamin D, all you know, DHA, omega-3, these sorts of things. And this is something that you speak at length about, right? So I'm interested in your perspective on, on supplementation. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But 
This quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. The vitamin B12 issue, you know, I've heard that canard, you know, expressed many times, that how can a plant-based diet be natural? You've got to take supplements. But wait a minute. Um, that reflects um, uh, an insufficient understanding of, of basic biochemistry. Vitamin B12 is absolutely essential for normal nerve function, brain function, blood function. It absolutely is essential. And people think, well, that's why I need my red meat. And that, pre, that subsumes that cows make vitamin B12 and pigs make vitamin B12, when the truth is they don't. No animal makes vitamin B12. The only place vitamin B12 comes from is from bacteria that live in the soil. And those animals have B12 in their muscles because they're eating grass all day. And they're pulling up clumps of grass that have B12, that have soil particles cling to the mm-hmm. roots. And in those soil particles are bacteria that make B12. And the cow and the pig and the chicken swallow these organisms that then produce B12 in their own gut winds up in their muscles. And yes, you can kill the animal, shoot it in the head, strip the flesh off its bones, and eat the flesh for your B12. But the truth is, that's bacterial B12 in the cow's muscles. The cow did not make it. And that same bacterial B12 used to be running through our systems as well 10,000 10, years ago, even a few hundred years ago. Because we were eating the dirt? or Well, we were connected to the natural world when... Um, um, absolutely, we would. We would. We spent our days foraging. There's nothing romantic uh, about uh, survival. Um, uh, you're either kill, you know, the, killing animals or pull, pulling roots out of the ground and eating them. And um, and uh, those roots pulled out of the ground would have soil uh, with B12 producing organism clinging to it. Um, every rainstorm, those organisms and the B12 they produce wash into the streams and rivers. And uh, when it came time to drink, you'd, you'd lay down at the nearest stream and drink your, your, your fill and you'd get B12 in the stream water. When we were connected with the natural world, B12 used to flow through our bodies just like it does the deer and the antelope and the buffalo. And no supplements were necessary when we were living earth-connected lives. Mm-hmm. And the paleo folks seem to overlook that. Now, what we're, what's, we're running into now is that that link to the earth has been broken. Nobody's drinking out of streams anymore. Nobody's just pulling um, vegetables out of their garden and eating it without washing it. And modern sanitation has intervened here, which is okay with me. Uh, I don't want to be treating cases of cholera and typhoid fever. It's okay to, to chlorinate the drinking water supply, but it kills the B12-producing bacteria. And so in this trade-off that we've made for, for clean water, the price civilized man is going to cost you your natural B12 supply. Mm-hmm. And so that got taken away from us. So it's this artifact of modern, quote, civilization that has made the plant-based folks. Now, well, we're, we got to get some B12 somewhere. And it still comes from bacteria. But nowadays, they culture those bacteria in big vats of, of culture medium, and they produce the B12. And the B12 is separated off and put into little pills and potions. And it's the same bacterial B12, but now we get it out of a bottle. 
But it's just because of modern sanitation, not because right. a plant-based diet is inherently deficient. And what are the other deficiencies that you commonly see when you're seeing your patients mm-hmm. that require supplementation? Right. And what kind of supplements should we be looking at and why? Right. Uh, interesting point. So before I get into these specifics, I, I just have to say that the majority of folks who generate a deficiency in anything, whether it be a vitamin or mineral, anything, it's because of things that you know well, um, and that is um, we are consuming products, whether they be breads or soups or whatever, that are processed. And in the processing, uh, the vitamins and minerals are stripped out. They're replaced with a bunch of fat and sugar and salt. If people really eat the kind of diet that you and I and uh, others in the field are prescribing, and it's it, the words just flow together, uh, people don't even think about, oh, whole food plant-based diet. But stop. We're talking about a whole food plant-based diet. Nothing like Michael Pollan says, eat food. Not edible food-like substances out of brightly colored packages and boxes, which is what most people eat. Mm-hmm. So eat food. Eat big, hearty salads, colorful salads, hearty, rich vegetable stews and soups, big plates of steamed greens, handfuls of walnuts, oatmeal and fruit in the morning. You run that through your body day after day after day. No, stop the oils and the cheese and the dairy and the processed stuff. and Eat food. And I'm talking about big helpings, as I said, fresh whole plant foods and big salads, hearty vegetable soups, healthy lentil stews and healthy bean burritos, you know, hearty food. These deficiencies don't happen. You know, we'll talk about a little fine-tuning there. Mm-hmm. By and large, protein takes care of itself. Carbohydrates take care of itself. The essential fats take care of themselves. The vitamins and minerals, they take care of themselves. It's in, the, it's in the green and yellow vegetables. It's in the fruits. It's in the root vegetables. It's there. And nature put it, it, gives it to us like she always has. Mm-hmm. And it's not, we're, we're not suddenly uh, you know, awoke in this, in this wilderness of what do we eat? Uh, but eat food like we always have done. So with that said, if I presuppose that, listen, eat a really healthy plant-based diet, whole food, like I mentioned, you're not going to run into these kind of deficiencies by and large. Yes, you got to deal with the B12 thing because we're not drinking stream water. Other than that, that's mm-hmm. about the only official supplement that a purely plant-based eater requires. In the real world, because we're away from... <clears throat> um, we're out of the sunshine. We, you know, we used to spend our days out in the African veld there with, uh, uh, naked in the sun, running away from lions and tigers. <laughs> and, and all that sun on our skin made plenty of vitamin D. Uh, our skins look like old suitcases by age 40, but uh, you got eaten by a lion at 42, and, and nobody cared about skin cancer or the way we looked. And But now we're all, we've huddled away from the sun. Now we're all cowering in our rooms in front of our computers. We're, out, we're not in the sun anymore, so sunlight is not falling on our skin. So vitamin D deficiency has become rampant. And so I check my patient's vitamin D levels, and if it's way below 40, I, I will get them on an oral supplement for that, or else tell them get a half-hour morning sun. Right. Uh, Every day, that's the best, of course. So vitamin D is something I do have to look out for. Same thing with um, iodine is an issue for 
purely plant-based folks. Again, you know, in ancient times, as you as you're hunting, as you're gathering by the seashore, you know, there was lots of edible seaweeds, and we used to get lots of iodine that way. And the soils near uh, near the oceans, uh, as the, as the tides go in and out, the soils have lots of iodine in them. So the root vegetables that grow in those soils, the carrots and the beets and the turnips, were very yeah. rich in iodine. Well, that's that that's receding into the dim past. Mm-hmm. So um, vitamin D and iodine are the two uh, are the are the two main minerals uh, or two main nutrients that I'll, I'll occasionally consider um, patients uh, supplementing if they're showing any signs of especially hypothyroid um, symptoms. And um, the last one, I just want to make sure my, my folks get enough of these long-chain fatty acids, the um, uh, DHA and EPA, the omega-3 fats. And you can make them in your body, but you got to eat the, the, the foods that contain the forerunners of those molecules. So I want all my folks to have a handful of almond, uh, handful of walnuts a day. Um, and again, those so be, these are, we're talking about the omega threes. The omega threes, yeah. Right. And um, but if they, despite doing that, and you know, there's omega three fats in dark green leafy vegetables. So again, I'm talking about big helpings of kale and broccoli and chard and collards. If you do that and have your ground flax seeds on the oatmeal in the morning and take your handful of walnuts and eat lots of greens, you should make your, enough of the omega-3s. Right. But if not, uh, if they've got dry skin or they're, they just can't keep up with that, I'll have them get some algae-derived DHA at the health food store. Mm-hmm. Those are about the only three. The DHA, the vitamin D, and the iodine are the only three that I concern, plus the B12, of Right. On the, on the subject of, of omega-3 supplementation, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of talk about fish oil mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, what's wrong with fish oil? Fish oil is the best source of omega-3, and why would you tell somebody not to eat fish oil? Are you just holding on to this idea of plant-based for no reason, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, my t- correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is that uh, even fish oils that are labeled toxin-free mm-hmm. still have been found to be rife with toxins, and I think Dr. Michael Greger did a video on that, that there were some studies on that. And, uh, and that the algae-based uh, omega-3 supplements are just as good, and you can be sure that they're toxin-free. I mean, is that really... Is that is that correct? Is that the argument? Oh, that's certainly my understanding. Uh, and it's almost exactly analogous to the B12 situation, where... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's B12 in the cow's muscles, but the cow didn't make it. It's bacterial B12. Well, the same thing of uh, fish oil, omega-3s. People, fish, do not make DHA. Fish don't make it. It's made by plants, just like mm-hmm. dark green leafy vegetables make it. So do the, 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 the vegetables in the sea. Basically, um, DHA, this long-chain fatty acid, is made by algae cells. Most of it's uh, floating free in the ocean. And fish live in the ocean, and they swim with their mouths open all day, swallowing algae. And it's, it's the algal DHA that winds up in the fish's muscle. And you can kill the fish and crush its flesh and squeeze out the fish oil. But the truth is, it's algal DHA. Mm-hmm. It's from the algae. Well, if you haven't heard, we are clear-cutting the oceans. We are strip-mining the oceans. And and to, to advocate, it's good to scoop up the fish, grind up them for the oil. When it's coming from the algae in the first place, it's, it's just unconscionable to me to do that on an ecological level. But also... <clears throat> 
you know, as you said, it's hard to believe that their purification processes are so good and so efficient that every last little atom of mercury and every last little molecule of pesticides really comes out of that fish oil. It's really, really hard to believe that they can still do that and sell it for sell it for cheap. There's no reason to be eating fish oil. Plus, there are some medical reasons why you don't. It's got an anticoagulant property to it. Um, people um, get a lot of fish oil. If little is good, more must be better. And they get a nosebleed and they don't stop mm-hmm. bleeding. They fall and they hit their head and they bleed in their skull. It suppresses your immune system. And we're now seeing, if you if you Google fish oil and cancers, you're now seeing that the fish oil seems to suppress the part of the immune system that eats up the cancer cells that form in our body every day. Oh, interesting. And, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. And, you know, you can't do one thing in the body. You know, you can't do one thing. And, oh, I'm taking fish oil for my, for my inflammation. Well, right. that's what you think you're doing. Right, those beta carotene studies, right? This idea that, well, we're driven by our, our sort of scientific protocol is to isolate out these things and make conclusions about them without sort of in the in the T. Colin can he addresses this in his book whole, like we have to look at this in a macro sense and how this matrix of how all of these things interact on multiple levels doing many, many things at the same time. Oh, absolutely. And uh, to say that, uh, you know, the, this fish oil is going to create X, Y effect in my body. Well, it may do that, but it also correct, uh, creates, mm-hmm. you know, XZ and, uh, uh, and, and four, number 1405 in your body. That, oh, gee, you didn't realize it also did that. Oh, I didn't think about it. Stopping my blood clotting and increasing my cancer risk. I thought I was just doing it for time. a month. Exactly. Right. It seems like the common theme in all of this throughout this whole conversation, or maybe even throughout this whole movement, is... The idea of eating low on the food chain, when in doubt, like always eat, try to derive that 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 nutrient or whatever it is you're looking to get from the lowest possible level in the food chain, as opposed to higher up where it becomes maybe contaminated or just convoluted with many other things that have different impacts and effects on the body. Absolutely. I mean, it's still a natural world. And the biggest animals on the planet, elephants, buffaloes, giraffes, stallions, they create thousands of pounds of mammalian muscle without mm-hmm. ever eating cheeseburgers and pepperoni pizzas. They get the protein and the minerals that's in the plants. And that's it's there for our taking. That's what we're supposed to be doing is foraging and, and getting the harvest of the earth, period. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to turn ourselves into carnivorous apes and, and supplement takers is, is a grotesque distortion of the natural reality as far as I can see. Right. Interesting. Um, one of the things that I've noticed in kind of traversing this plant-based world over the past couple of years is, is getting back to this idea of macro and micro. Like on a macro level, I think all of the people like yourself that are at the top of the field um, agree on the basics. But then when we start to kind of get into the nitty gritty or the details, there's lots of differing, differing opinions on certain aspects of how to do this right. And I think with that comes this sort of uh, losing the forest for the trees and and that exactly. that sort of those these minor little disagreements over certain 
tiny aspects of this become arguments to sort of rebut this altogether. So exactly. I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Oh, well, you, you know, the answer was in the question. Mm -hmm. I see that happening again and again, and they'll get, you know, two experts that basically agree on everything. We ought to be eating a whole plant-based diet, but this one has a little different viewing about where nuts fits in or right. whether oils fits in. Aha, see, you guys who disagree, you right. can't we believe anything you, you say. Right, we get you and McDougal and uh -huh. Dr. Resselston mm -hmm. and T. Colin Campbell and Dr. Michael Greger mm -hmm. and Jeff no, you get all these guys in a room, mm -hmm. they're going to agree on 99% of everything, and then there's going to be 1%, but all the focus is going to go on that 1% absolutely. that you guys are quibbling over. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, <laughs> exactly. It's a cynical, you know, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's an us versus them, and there's no need for that. We're, it's all us, you know. We, and, and speaking of all us, it's becoming, in my viewpoint, their intention might be good, but the truth is it's becoming unconscionable to recommend a flesh-based diet on a planet of 9 billion people to serve animal flesh for 9 billion people. It is absolutely physically, uh, ecologically impossible to do that. Um, there, there, we do not have the soil, the water, the resources in any way mm -hmm. imaginable. And so to be... Um, to be advocating this for everybody in the world want to be eating like this is uh, talking about head in the bucket. It, there's a cynical disregard of the reality of this planet of world hunger. Um, yeah, it's time to get real, folks. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we grew up eating plants. We better get back to that and, and start creating sustainable food systems that makes the soil richer, which a plant-based agriculture does, uh, than, to, than just sucking all the nutrients out of the ecosystem and so, be surprised when the famine hits. We, we've, we've got to start a restorative food mm -hmm. production system and it starts with uh, plant-based foods uh, and then plowing that plant material back into the soils and and keeping the cycles going but but uh, burgers for nine billion uh, is a recipe for ecological suicide mm -hmm. um, beautifully put There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. 
Voice and Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. That would be a great place to end it, but I can't let you go without okay. asking you two quick questions. I know we have limited time with you today, uh, but I did want to sort of inquire uh, a little bit about the process when a patient comes to you at True, no- True North, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're if they're coming up to see you and to be to participate in this clinic, mm-hmm. I would presume that they're probably in, in in a relatively poor state of health and and need some significant help. Well, what do you commonly see? Uh, what is the typical protocol if you could make a generalization and what kind of results do you see? I mean, maybe an anecdote or a story to help kind of paint the picture. Sure. Uh, When I graduated med school in 1972, I thought I was going to see six cases of leprosy every week, four cases of smallpox Mm -hmm. and three of Tsukamuchi fever. 40 years, I've seen zero cases of smallpox, thank God, zero of uh, Tsukamuchi fever, uh, one leprosy I did see. Um, that's not, I, say, wow. I walked into my clinic in Was Maui. that in Hawaii? Or in Hawaii, Hawaii. yeah. <laughs> right. it was, he, in fact, he came in off the off a ship from Vietnam and he didn't have it. But, um, but that's not what kills people. The Americans are sick and dying from what they are eating. It's that high fat, toxic food stream. And it's more than just fat, it's all the animal protein, hydrogenated oils, all the vegetable oil, all the, the toxic uh, components of that food stream is clogging us up and, and creating the diseases and you know, the, the high blood pressure, the obesity, the diabetes. It's all the same disease. It's running too rich a mixture through an engine that wasn't designed to run us, like running diesel fuel through your Volkswagen car engine, um, it's too rich a fuel and it's clogging us up. So um, as soon as they walk in the door, if they're 40 pounds overweight and on metformin for their diabetes and lisinopril for their blood pressure, I knew just, I know just by looking at their medication list what they're going to look like mm-hmm. before they come in the door. And so I sit down with them and I listen. And I said, when, when's the last time you felt really good? When's the last time you were at a really ideal body weight? And I listen, and I, oh, that was 10 years ago. What happened 10 years ago? Oh, I got divorced, I lost my job, I got, okay, fair enough. And, and what happened with your food? Oh, I had no time to cook, I was off selling as bachelor's, living on fast foods. Mm-hmm, there's a story. If you listen, they'll tell you the story, what's wrong with them. And so I open up my computer and I show them what happens to their blood. When they eat a cheeseburger, I show them how their blood turns fatty and there's more than just fat in that blood. All the carnitine metabolites and the and the contaminants, all the things that injure their arteries. And I say, man, you, you have bacon and eggs for breakfast, cheeseburger for lunch, fried chicken for dinner. Every five hours, you're sending a tide of fat and contaminants to your bloodstream. This is why you're sitting in front of me 50 pounds overweight with high blood pressure and diabetes. you got to stop doing this to your bloodstream, man. Here's what to eat. And we talk about a healthy diet, fruit and oatmeal for breakfast, and big soups and salads and steamed greens, all the good things we said. Take a walk every day and do a little fine-tuning, depending you know, as far as your medications go. And I see them back every two weeks. And if they're able to follow anywhere near this, the progress. Is, is stunning. It's beautiful mm-hmm. to see these people trim down. They get off their pills. So it comes down to listening and then being getting real with them. They're not paying me to be an enabler. Oh, a little bit of chicken and cheese is okay, Joe. No, it's not okay. That's what's keeping you fat and diabetic and hypertensive. Stop doing that to your bloodstream. 
stop. If, if you can't do that, you know, I'll help you taper it off a little bit. If you want to have a little piece of you know, flesh once a week, <laughs> I guess that's okay. But, man, it, either get on board or you really need to find a doctor who will enable you in your bad habits. I can't be that doctor. If you want to work with me, you want to get healthier, uh, you're going to get on to a whole food plant-based diet and stop the cigarette smoking, etc. And And there's lots of help available. I send them to our dietitian and the cooking classes and the psychology support. They're entitled to all the support they can mm-hmm. get. But it's get real time in my office. And right. This is what you're doing. And you want to get healthy, clean up the show, and everything gets better from there. Right. And in terms of the su- success stories, uh, it's one thing to talk about prevention or even damage control. Like, this guy's headed for a disaster. Let's let's mm-hmm. try to reduce the risk of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's another thing altogether to talk about reversal. But I know that, you know, reversal is well within the realm of possibility when people are you know, sort of adopting the protocol, you know, whole cloth from what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the reversals I've seen, the recoveries are stunning. These people who are headed for the ICU or the morbidly obese, all these medications, lean, clean, plant-based diet, a walk every day, boy, they trim down. It's We don't take before and after pictures in my office, but boy, I wish we did because uh, so many times. Why not? Uh, because when they first people come in, they're stuff. sick and they're diabetic. They don't want a camera in front of their face you know, recording uh-huh. it. But so often, they, they, they when they stop eating the dairy alone, you see the bloat leave their face. You see their bull neck melt away. You see their jawline emerge. You see their walk change. You see the expression on their face when they get out of the chair in the waiting room to come to my office. You can see they don't grimace anymore. They don't grunt. Uh, they're off their pills. They, their bowels are moving for the first time in years. Their doctor haven't felt this good in years. It just warms every cockle in this, mm-hmm. this old doctor's heart. And so um, that you know that's what makes it worthwhile. And it's and it's, everybody can do it. Between inside every fat sick person there, there's a lean healthy person. Uh, who just needs to make better decisions. And, and the, the art and the joy in medicine now is helping people do that. I, I was relating to a friend of mine that when I was a young doc, oh, the excitement, oh, let's get him on these beta blockers for his heart rhythm and his, his ACE inhibitor for his blood pressure and his statin for his, and let's put this pill in this pill. Now, the fun of medicine after we get them on a healthy plant-based diet. Oh, we can stop that pill. Oh, get them off that one. Oh, we can discontinue that one. Doesn't mm-hmm. need that one anymore. Now, now the fun's getting them off their pills and mm-hmm. again, turning them back into normal, healthy people. And uh, that's, it's the greatest, most satisfying type of medicine I know how to practice. And that's what I'm going to finish my career mm-hmm. with, no doubt. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You're so welcome, Rich. You're an Thank inspiration. You. Uh, I hope that you continue for many, many years speaking the good word and helping people and to you keep running man we yeah. need the example you said boy you every time i'm I, it's early in the morning and i don't want to get up and do my workout i think of you out, <laughs> out on the road as say if, if rich can do it clever get out of bed and put on those running shoes and get moving man right, so, so you it. help me more than you more than yeah, you we know. were joking at the uh the q a session i did with robert cheek the other day you were in the audience uh-huh. and i was like oh no dr clapper's here <laughs> people are asking me nutrition questions i was like so intimidated i felt like you should be up there answering them not me so you guys did very well you guys know know the feel very well 
All right, great. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, if you want to learn more about Dr. Clapper, the best way to find out about him is drclapper.com, right? Correct. It's one and, P K L A P E R. Right. And it's all spelled out D O C T O R K L A P E R.com. And you have a retreat in Maui coming up. We yes. do at the end of March. Uh, we have a seven day uh, uh, retreat, uh, a beautiful retreat center on Maui, uh, drinking lots of fresh juices, uh, some uh, beautiful yoga, uh, relaxation, a little life coaching. It's just going to be a wonderful renewal cleanse to get you started in the spring. Awesome. And all the information about that's on your site. It's all right? on the website. And you have a Facebook page. I no, I don't. You, oh, you don't? No, I don't have a Facebook really? page. So yeah. just your website. Just my website. we got to get you on Twitter. You'd be great <laughs> no, on you Twitter. <laughs> I, I can't even get my really? emails answered. Well, Every time I open my inbox. you got to get a podcast up and running okay. for you. For, uh, I'll start a network. You can join my network. Thank you. I'll take that. you up on that one. All right. Very good. Great. And uh, you got a couple books out there. You have a book called Vegan Nutrition. Uh, that one's out of, out of uh, date. I do have uh, four DVDs. And, that one's out of print. I have okay. four DVDs and uh, you, they're available for download on my website on, on how to do a fast, on how your digestive system works, sense and nonsense nutrition, and understanding what your laboratory tests mean, mm -hmm. uh, as well as a good talk on salts, fat, and sugar. Uh, Excellent. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, that's a whole... I mean, I have so many other things I want to talk to you about. Sure. So you're going to have to come on. Hopefully, we will cross paths in another mm -hmm. event coming up do you have other speaking engagements oh i'm sure they're sprinkled through the calendar but i'll, I'll right. i'm available to you anytime when i want to connect i'll be glad to talk with you anytime Rich. all right excellent thanks so much thank you all right peace plants all right everybody that's our show this week thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it i hope you enjoyed dr michael clapper we made it out of the bermuda triangle intact alive Unless this is all some kind of waking dream, like Lost. Uh, I'll have to think about that this week. Anyway, uh, if you dug what you heard and you want to learn more about Dr. Michael Clapper, check out his goods, what he has to offer, and all of his resources. I'm going to list them out on my website at richroll.com on the episode page for this episode, obviously. Uh, so go there, read up, do it up. Want to support the show? The main thing is just tell a friend, spread the word. This is all about viral, everybody. Uh, so for those of you who have been doing that, we appreciate it. If you want to take it to the next level, the best way to do that is to use the Amazon banner ad at richworld.com. Just click it. It's on the homepage. It's on every page, I think. Anyway, it'll take you to Amazon. You're going to buy something there anyway. So uh, why not use the Amazon banner ad at richworld.com? It will not cost you a penny extra. And Amazon kicks us some loose commission change, and that helps us pay our bills. Again, it helps me pay Tyler, my son, to produce this show. And he's been doing a bang-up job. If you enjoy the music on the show, he produced, arranged, recorded, performed, all of it, all on his own. So uh, give him a shout-out in the comments. Uh, you can also donate to the show. Uh, you can subscribe on a weekly, monthly basis. Pay one time. That feels right to you that resonates with you, you want to contribute, uh, we love it. So you don't have to. The show's free. It'll always be free. But if you're so inclined, we greatly, greatly appreciate you supporting the plant power revolution, this mission that we're on. So thanks. Uh, and also, review on iTunes. That's really important for uh, keeping us kind of visible on iTunes. Uh, the more reviews we get, 
Uh, it just keeps us up there on the health homepage and all that kind of good stuff. So it helps us out. So if you have an extra 10 seconds, just go to the iTunes um, page for the show and write a comment. Uh, give it as many stars as you feel is appropriate and write what you want to write. I'm not telling you what to do, just, uh, just that you do it. We would greatly appreciate that as well. If you're inspired by Dr. Clapper and you want to learn more about how to get more plant-based, you're plant-curious, you can check out our online course at mindbodygreen.com, The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, three and a half hours of streaming video content, an online community, downloadable tools, all kinds of good stuff. And it kind of answers a lot of the questions that I get via email about what to eat, when to eat it, what to eat before workout, after workout, how do you do it with kids, how do you do it when you travel. All that good stuff is contained in this program of which I am quite proud. Um, of course, for all your plant power provisions, go to richroll.com. We got some cool plant power t-shirts up there, a couple nutritional products, our Jai CD cookbook, and uh, lots of fun stuff. So anyway, that's it. And uh, you want to read some more of my thoughts, go to richroll.com on my blog. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm at Rich Roll in most places. Um, that's it. I'm out of here. Thanks, you guys. I hope you have a great week, a healthy week, a fit week. I hope you take time to invest in yourself this week to do the inside work and the outside work. Let's all make our lives better together. All right, everybody. I'll be back with you next week. And until then, I bid you adieu. Thanks, you guys. Peace. Plants. Yay!